Stories are the planets we create to orbit around our sun, our lives. My name is Osatome B, and every week I will tell you a short story written by a Nigerian writer or author. That's the long and short of it. So without much ado, this week's story is by Marilyn Eze, and it's titled words that were never spoken. I remembered what it felt like seeing Okinna the first time. I noticed the moment he walked into the lecture theatre, one hand in his faded jeans pocket and the other clutching his phone. He assumed the lecture podium and said nothing, quietly assessing us. I watched him watch us, Conversations flying above my head and melding into a cacophony of discordant voices. He checked his wristwatch and continued watching us, the same calm expression on his face. His gaze travelled slowly, reading each face preoccupied with lively chatter or absorbed in their phones. He settled on my row, the third row from the front, and his eyes passed over me, but soon returned. Looking at me, almost quizzically, probably wondering why I was the only one who noticed his presence. He held my gaze, slightly lifting his left brow. I dropped my eyes, scared to have been noticed, quietly praying he didn't pay me much attention. Very soon, the class quieted down, they realized a different character had been introduced into their lives. Okina gestured to the class representative. They exchanged a few words, and the class rep turned towards the class, and in his high-pitched voice said, This is Mr. Okina. He is taking over from Dr. Okorie. The ripples of shock which went through me was felt by everyone in the classroom. In the three years we had spent, we were used to old stuffy lecturers with family issues or middle-aged men and women going through midlife crises, not someone so close to our age. Shock was soon replaced by sighs of appreciation from the females while the boys wore a knowing look on their faces. I looked around the class as girls patted their hair and sat up higher shining their teeth wider than usual. I returned my gaze to the front of the classroom. Okenna wore the same calm expression, although the draw of his brows told me he was a little bit miffed. I saw what the girls saw, big, broad shoulders which rested on a tall frame, neat beard which framed his face, and a complexion like brown leather, polished and buffed. I think what happened today should not repeat itself. His voice was deep and rich, resonating across the classroom. His tone was light, but still managed to sound scolding. I require attentiveness and respect the moment I'm in front of you. If you're not in the right frame of mind for my classes, you can leave. The class rang out a hearted apology captained by voices of eager females. I was slightly vexed, 
Even though I shied away from the attention, I wanted his eyes on me, searching mine and wandering into my soul. I didn't want to share his affection with anyone. He began his lesson, wording out notes and explanations. He gestured with one hand while the other stayed in his pocket or rested on the podium. I hardly listened, my heart willing his eyes to look my way, my brain countering any imaginations I conjured. My heart won. At the end of the lecture, he picked up his phone and notebook and made to leave. His eyes strayed to where I sat, capturing mine just for a second, and then he was gone. It happened so fast, I began to doubt it happened at all. I heard my roommate's laughter before I ascended the stairs. A girl once told me our room made the loudest noise on the floor. I know your roommates must be fun, unlike mine, she sighed and walked away. I smiled and said nothing. Were my roommates fun? They never did fun things with me. Or maybe I didn't allow them to. I was just like the girl, an outsider looking in. I walked into the room gingerly like I was walking on hot stones. I mumbled a greeting, but they were too engrossed in their discussion to notice or acknowledge me. I didn't call out to them. I feared they would be irritated by my interruption. I hung my bag and made for the toilet when Mma sighted me. Aha! Ugo, you are back? You just walked in like spirits. Her face, bearing a pitiful look, almost maternal. The same look she wore whenever she spoke to me. The same look women in our church wore the day Nam died. I stood the urine threatening to leave my body. Yes, I mumbled, avoiding her eyes and looking at her forehead like I always did. How was school? She continued. Fine, I mumbled. The same monosyllabic answers I was used to giving and the same she was used to hearing. I urged my brain to speak to tell her about how stressful lumbering up the staircase to my classes were, to tell her how my hands cramped up trying to write down every word Dr. Iforma spat out, or tell her about Mr. Iforma, whose lectures were always about nagging tendencies of his wife and women in general, or tell her about Okinna, and how I wanted to see him again and have him look at me in his quiet, quizzical manner. I wanted to hear her laugh and tease me about it. She waited expectantly for a response, but I said nothing. She sighed and gave me a half-smile. No. I headed to the toilet, aware Ruth had completely ignored our conversation. My other roommate had given up on trying to speak to me, and she always ignored my presence in the room. Once, I overheard her say to Uma, I swear, that girl behaves like Atolo. Other days I would have been bothered, anxious even, 
I wanted for Ruth to like me. But today, my mind wandered to Okina, where he was and what he was doing. My mind stayed on him for the rest of the day. For the next three weeks, I was convinced I had imagined our moment. There were no secretive eye meetings, no matter how much I willed his eyes. I sat in the same row, on the same seat, and waited for him to look my way. One day, he finally did, and I wasn't aware. I didn't capture the moment or etch it into my memory, and it was lost. Nne had called the day before, crying. Uncle Ifai had beaten a baby out of her stomach. Again. I imagined her nose dripping, while tears ran freely down her cream-bleached face. It would be red, with a greenish hint and, and puffy too. She was an ugly crier. I wondered why she called to tell me. She knew I wouldn't sympathize or offer encouragement. She signed up for a life together with a vile human. Willing the conversation to come to an end, I said nothing while she slobbered all over the phone. When it first happened, I had told her what to do. Leave him or kill him like she did my father. She slapped me when I uttered those words. Hard. I lost my hearing momentarily. I couldn't take her crying anymore, so I hung up. I had since learned to stop feeling guilty. My mother brought out the worst in me. I was dwelling on past events when Debbie, my only friend in school, nudged me out of my reverie. Oko, Mr. Okenna is looking at you, she whispered. I jerked up to find the class in throes of laughter. He had told a joke. Far away in my subconscious, I had heard the joke. It wasn't funny to me. I looked up to find Mr. Okenna staring at me. His left eyebrow lifted in the familiar way I had come to know. His gaze intent. Buoyed by all my problems, I felt defiant and matched his stare. His lips, hesitant at first, twisted up in a half-smile. His eyes twinkled. He looked away first and I felt victorious. I checked my wristwatch. It was almost time for his lesson to end. I looked up expectantly, hoping to see him leave. And there he was again, capturing my eyes with his and holding it for the longest second. It became our routine, holding each other's gaze in class and when we bumped into one another in the department hallway. When my roommates were not around, I practiced his smile, looking into the mirror and twisting my lips the way he did. I wanted to smile the way he smiled. I spent more time ironing my clothes and polishing my shoes. Ma asked if I had a boyfriend when I spent more than 30 minutes ironing a particular shirt. I wanted him to do something, stand me up in class and ask for my name, 
or tell the class rep to call me to his office because I failed the last test and needed tutoring. I wanted something, anything. My first love was sprouting and I was still giddy with euphoria when it was inconveniently uprooted. Nay called me. Her husband was dead. She cried as soon as I picked up the phone. I was confused for a moment. Her husband had been dead for 15 years. As if noticing my confusion, she cried again. If I, if I am I'm ashamed to admit it, but I felt relief. A part of me has wanted to hear those words from the moment he stepped into our lives. Nay was still talking gibberish when the phone was snatched from her hands. Adam, I recognized my uncle Ifedi's voice. Kekwano, he greeted, but didn't wait for an answer. You need to come home, Nay. Ifani died this morning. Hit and run accident. And your mother is going mad. Come and take care of your brother until she is well, oh? Become warm. I thought of my mother who had buried two husbands in her lifetime. And I thought of my father. I ended the call and stared motionless into space. Ruth noticed my stiffness and called my name. She shook me roughly when I didn't answer. My mother's husband is dead, I said after a while. Chima! Ma screamed. Ruth's hand fell from my shoulder. I began to cry. Softly, at first. They didn't ask why I cried for a person I called my mother's husband. They asked why I called him that. Ruth clasped my hands tightly while Uma held my shoulders and cried with me. I didn't cry for Ifanyi. I, I cried for my father who, who died of heart failure. I cried because he fell to the ground and lay stiff after I told him I saw Nne with another uncle on their bed. I cried because I didn't know he had a weak heart. I cried because two years after his funeral, Nne moved the same uncle into my father's home. I cried because eight months later, her belly swelled with a baby. I cried because it was the only baby he managed to let her have without beating it out of her body. I cried because I hated my mother for what she did. I cried because I learned to stop speaking, to avoid people getting hurt. I wanted to tell Emma to stop crying for Ifani. I wanted to tell them everything. I wanted someone to join me in hating him and to be relieved he was gone. But I didn't. I sat there and allowed Emma cry. Three months after his death, three months after I had successfully carried over a semester, I sauntered into the department, hoping Okina's face would be the first one I saw the moment I stepped in. I had avoided asking Debbie about Okina during my stay at home 
I wanted to keep our secret. I passed by his office, hoping to catch a glimpse of his perfectly shaped head bent over working. But he wasn't there. I carried on to the classroom. As soon as I stepped in, I saw him and my heart melted. I almost danced on the spot. I was so preoccupied with excitement that for a moment I didn't register the words he was saying or what he held in his hands. So I would like everyone who can make it to be there. I looked up to the purple and cream object he held in his hands. With a wide smile on his face, he continued. I will leave the invitation card with the class rep for interested persons to take a look at. My fiancé and I will be delighted to have you all. I was stunned. Fiancé, wedding, and Okina didn't go together in one sentence unless I was part of it. My feet wobbled, and I leaned against the wall to steady myself. Shouts of, Congrats, sir! Congratulations, sir! Congrats, sir! rang out, along with resigned disappointment on the girls' faces. I wanted to see that disappointment on their faces, but I wanted to be the reason it was there, not part of the disappointed. Okina dropped the card with a flourish and made to leave. He stopped short when he saw me. Unlike before, he couldn't hold my gaze and looked elsewhere. His wide smile only reduced a fraction and he started to leave the class with a slew of students following behind. Did I imagine it all? Was I alone in my understanding of what transpired between us? A hundred and one questions flooded my mind as I watched him walk away. I watched the back of his head, willing him to look back one last time. And like before, he heard my silent leadings. He stopped and turned, halting the students who trilled him. His eyes caught mine once more. Asking a silent question I, I wasn't sure I wanted to answer. The students looked around confused to see what made him stop. I held his gaze, my heart begging me to do what it needed. I broke our gaze and walked away, my heart aching silently for the tears which would come later that night. Marilyn Eze is a writer poet, and journalist. You can connect with her and read more of her work on Instagram at mae underscore r-y-l-i-n, Twitter at ewelitam, Facebook at c-i-a-m writers, and on Medium. Details will be in the episode description. If you've got a story you would like to be featured on this podcast, or a published book you want to make into an audiobook, send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram at Osadumibi. I look forward to collaborating with you. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, tell a friend that stories are a good escape for a few minutes each week.